Hello, and welcome to the Emergency Power Network. My name is Richard Moore. I play NR5E on the Emergency Power Podcast. And today I'm going to be doing the first of several cast interviews. And the first person in the hot seat with me is none other than our, our good friend, Leslie McCallan, who plays Whisker. Hello, everybody. Leslie, thanks so much for taking some time to sit down and, and let me throw questions at you. Of course. We, we've talked a little bit in kind of in the past few weeks about just wanting to do some get to know you material, um, not just because we want to have something to, to push out to people while they're waiting for season four to kick into high gear, but also just because I think there is, I, I think maybe some of our listeners don't know our audience as well. We have a few listeners that interact with us a lot through discord and have gotten to know those personalities, but, and you see, you do see a lot of our personalities or hear them rather on the podcast, but this is just gives us a chance to be able to spotlight everybody and, and let those things shine through and learn a little bit more about what everybody is like as a person and as a gamer. I have to tell people my secrets. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. They, well, they're just gaming secrets. I'm not going to ask you any hard questions. And trust me, I okay. could have because I thought really hard about going into some of the chats that we're we're in. Oh, no. And being like, give me questions to ask Leslie. And I was like, no, that's too mean. I can't do that to, to them. Yeah. Okay. All good. I'll let me just put these skeletons back. <laughs> just shove them in there. Yeah. Don't mind the pelvis. We'll be needing those. So let's start out talking RPGs a little bit. Um, one thing that I'm interested in hearing from every cast member I interview is what I like to refer to as your gaming pedigree. So like, tell me roughly how long you've been playing tabletop RPGs, maybe a little bit about your favorite systems and how much time of that time has been spent as a GM versus as a player. Yeah, so I started gaming in t tabletop RPGs uh, about 14 years ago. I was in college at the time, living nearby uh, Adam, actually. Like, we were not, I won't say childhood friends, but shortly after, like, the high school age mm -hmm. is when we met, and we were both nerdy folks and we're like we should try D&D like this seems right up our alley but we both lived in a small town and it you know there just weren't a lot of people to to play this kind of stuff with but we had a group of friends that were all relatively nerdy mostly from gaming and we're like let's try it out so we picked out this was when like Fallout 3 had just come out so we're like oh yeah Fallout like post-apocalyptic that sounds great we found right. a Fallout themed quotes air quotes because it wasn't officially licensed uh called exodus fun fact i learned later on they tried to get the license and like something happened and they lost it so they had to <laughs> rebrand everything but it's very very like fallout adjacent and it was like a d20 system so like think like dnd 3.5 a billion skills and just way too much complexity <laughs> uh, that was our first introduction into tabletop rpgs and from there like you'd think like oh yeah this is too complex let's find something easier no i went the opposite i i always saw like oh we we're using d20s well the skill curve on a d20 is flat what if we tried a bell curve what if we tried 3d6 systems <laughs> oh look hero system does that let's oh, try no. hero system <laughs> so then we played a stint of hero system games all of these were homebrew so we're learning hero system at the same time that we're trying to run games with no module and it went about as well as you'd expect right <laughs> it was fun but, oh my god, is it complicated. And, like, I love how much customization you can put into your characters, but trying to play those characters at the table is just... It's like sitting in a physics class. Yeah. Like, you gotta figure out, like, oh, well, how fast does this building burn if it's made out of 80% wood? <laughs> <laughs> and it just... It was... Everyone felt like it was too much at the table. We ended up cutting a lot of the rules and just ignoring them because they were too much at the table. After that, 
I ended up getting a job that required me to move away. There was a year or two where I didn't get to play. And then I quickly found another group. That group was playing Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit familiar with the system. Uh, you know, I brought in a bard. This group was very well established, very big into RP. And so like I was going full on into like being in character and like being my crazy little bard. (laughs) And after a couple of games, they were like, hey, how would you like to try doing this in real life? It's like, we're all members of a LARP group and we think that you would enjoy it. And so I went and did LARP with them for several years, ended up dragging Adam halfway across <laughs> California to come with me. And uh, we did LARP for several years. Lots of tabletop stuff in LARP as well, um, at least in the ones that we were in. They would have live events and then they would have tabletop events where you're playing your LARP character in a tabletop RPG. And uh, one of them had a bespoke system and the other one was very, very rules light. And it was just like, yeah, just role play it and mm. you're good. Uh, after that, I really got into like some rules light systems because I enjoyed how much that flowed at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, that's about the time that I got introduced to fate and I love fate so much. It's just, it's so light at the table. Um, it's so easy to just make like a ruling as a GM. And I should note, like I GM'd all throughout this, like a lot of times, at least when Adam and I were playing together, I would GM and then he would GM and then I would GM and we'd just kind of go back and forth every week. Right. Um, so like we we both kind of started at the same time. After Fate, I started getting into like some more esoteric stuff. A friend of mine actually kickstarted a system of their own called New Fire. You can check that out. I'm pretty sure it's still available on Drive Through RPG. Uh, it is, I'm gonna, get this wrong i think it was a mayan themed tabletop rpg interesting and like this person did their research lots and lots of study went in to make it feel like not from the perspective of the colonizers right it was a, right. it's a story about pre-colonization society and and like those uh those gods, those that type of culture and that type of structure. And it was a lot of it was about magic, but the magic all came at a cost. And so every time you wanted to do something that would be considered magical, each deity had like three different aspects. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to channel one of those aspects you had to pay a cost related to one of the other aspects and it was a really interesting system a whole lot of fun very flexible we played that for a few years with the friend who uh, created the game they ran us through this game and shortly after that i moved to north carolina and there was kind of a little bit of a dearth in my ttrpgs until we started up with starfinder Mm -hmm. and you know, Adam and I got into Starfinder, I think like a lot of people did through Androids and Aliens, a right. Glass Cannon podcast, and then realized like, hey, you know, we want to try our hand at this too. This seems like a whole lot of fun and we've all got some RP experience. Let's do it. And that's kind of what led us to here. Beautiful. Thank you very much for recounting that. And New Fire sounds really, really interesting. I love that idea. Definitely check it out. I I can I can hook you up with the the game. We can, oh, we can play a game if you want. Yeah, I, it, nothing else. I've got credit on drive through, so I, I'll always go and see if I can buy a copy and, and check it out because that that system of of appeasing different deity aspects is really interesting and just it, not the type of project that you hear about someone undertaking every day. day. And the artwork in that book is so beautiful too. Lovely. Um, all right, so. Um, since we're still on gaming and you've kind of got your mind in that gear, I think the next question I want to pose is tell me about a few of your favorite characters that you've played in other games besides emergency power. Oh no, but emergency power is my favorite. Um, I, I do really enjoy playing whisker and before that scruff, the one that comes to mind is also one that GM was GM'd by Adam 
And that was a home game that we played where Adam and I were co-GMs. And Richard, you were play a player in this. Oh, yeah. Uh, called, what did we call it? Is it Unyielding Skies? Uh, called Unyielding Skies. And I played a, it was a Starfinder game, and I played an Espraxa. And they were a lot of fun because the their kind of storyline was they were raised from a very well-to-do family and had no interest in being a part of like the family obligations, abandoned their life of luxury and leisure to become a pirate and <laughs> seek out adventure. A pretty common, I think, character story. But I just, I love that character so much. And I loved the, the group that I was in when we were playing it. I felt yeah. like there was just such a really great dynamic to tell a little bit more about that game. Uh, Adam and I were co-GMs on it. There were two teams of players. Adam and I each had one player on the opposite team, and then everybody else had two characters, depending on who was GMing that day. And the plan was, we never got to the crossover point, but we had intended for every few levels, like every five levels, we were going to have the two parties collide and have like a mashup episode where you got to play your character with some of the other characters from the other party. <laughs> and I really miss that game. And I really miss that character because I like, I never got to reveal too much about their storyline, but mm -hmm. they were being hunted by their family to like come back. And Ooh. so like, we were kind of starting to reveal some of that where like my character was heavily in disguise all of the time. And they were very cagey about undressing in front of people. <laughs> and yeah, we just, it would have been so much fun to get to explore that character more because I really feel like uh, they were just starting to come into their own when that game ends. And I hate when games end <laughs> so, so early, you know, before their time. Yeah, I know that was premature, but the scheduling problems were insurmountable with the group of players that we had. Um, and it's it's unfortunate because there was some brilliant role playing in that. And if I remember correctly, that that character of yours was like an avian humanoid. Is that correct? Yeah, the Aspraxa are like yes. a bird race. Kind of like, I don't know, they remind me of like a swan. They've got like a really long neck, mm -hmm. but they're, they're pretty cool. They have some very well-suited abilities for being an envoy. And so I was playing an envoy soldier mix that was focusing on unarmed combat. So it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Another character that I really, really miss uh, playing was in a Twitch stream, also Starfinder. Their name was Tomo. It was This was for Horizons Unknown, which was a Horizons of the Vast Starfinder Twitch stream. Yeah. Um, you can actually catch reprisals of Adam and Pan's characters, because they were also players in that game, in Cosmopunk's latest episode, or at least as of latest as of the day that we're recording this. Right. Adam got to do a cameo with, with them and bring in his character from that campaign. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to have to listen to that. I saw Pan promoting it a little, little bit ago. Yeah, my character was Tomo. Uh, they were an Entu colony, which is essentially a small ooze. <laughs> they, I played them as genderless. Like their species just has no concept of gender. They reproduce by budding. And my character was a Solarian, but they were Ooh. following the order of... Um, not the standard Cosmonastery order, but like the electro the electricity line. Right. And in our, the way that we had done it in our world is like that school of teaching was essentially considered blasphemous by the main <sighs> Solarian order. Ooh. And so I had been teach, I had been getting instructed by this outcast of the Solarian order. And then I fled to this other planet, which is where Horizons of the Vast takes place. It's like a planet that you're trying to... Uh, it's a brand new planet that was recently discovered and you're trying to establish a settlement on. Hmm. And we were just starting to get into like the fact that Tomo is not actually welcomed by the Solarian Order and 
they really don't like me spreading my teachings. Yeah. And I'm I'm out here trying to build a church of this of my own Solarian order on this settlement and they were not happy about that. <laughs> Die heretic. <laughs> yeah. Because someone might almost infer from your statements here that you seem to like characters with complicated and um, messy backgrounds. What? No. Slander. <laughs> um, so the, almost all the rest of my questions are going to be more centered on Emergency Power podcast. But I do want to ask, because you've mentioned a few other productions that you have been on. What live play productions do you enjoy? Like, what's your recommendation list for folks who maybe are listening to this and want want to know other good places to go and get more content? Oh, um, well, if you're looking for more Starfinder, I would definitely go check out Will Save the Podcast. They do theirs as a live stream on Twitch. And I would also check out Strange Table Fellows. I'm sure if you've heard of us in the Starfinder universe, you've definitely heard of Strange Table Fellows already. <laughs> they are very well known. Um, what's the other one? The Atomless is another really good stream. Uh, we actually got to meet a couple of those people that run that game when we went to PAX Unplugged. Um, the GM, Captain Crail, I think it is. I can't remember how to pronounce it got to meet them while we were at PAX and uh, they seemed like a really cool person. Awesome. All right, great. So there's a, a couple of recommendations. It will be interesting to hear what everybody has to say because I think we have a very diverse pool of people on this podcast just in terms of gaming tastes. Um, so kind of neat to see what, what gets everybody's engines running uh, for entertainment. Yeah, and of course, like, I also want to shout out Kay's production, Chaotic Wholesome Presents. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Kay will talk a lot more about that one uh, during their interview. Oh, yeah. But uh, you can find lots of good TTRPG streams, and most of those are charity streams, too. So you're helping out a good cause by uh, checking those out and donating. Absolutely. Yeah. And a good mix, too, of both live play and discussion, which I think mm -hmm. is really, really nice. Um, I, there have been several times when I've logged on to a chaotic, wholesome roundtable just to like kill 10 minutes of time. And I'm so interested in what I'm hearing and seeing that I'm just riveted to it for two hours. And I'm like, I just watched this whole yeah. thing and didn't really mean to. <laughs> All right. Um, so real quick, before we get into the EPN stuff, I just want to ask what other hobbies and pursuits do you have outside of tabletop gaming that you can tell us about? Oh boy. Uh, too many to count. I play multiple instruments badly. I play the banjo, I play the strumstick, and I'm learning the concertina. Yay! I don't currently practice, but I do have a black belt in martial arts. I am a woodworker. Oh, I also do a little bit of MIDI keyboard. I uh, haven't done a whole lot with that yet. I'm still learning. I am currently taking dance lessons. I'm oh, interested yeah. in dancing. We're doing we're doing ballroom dancing right now just to kind of get our feet wet, but I want to get more into like hip hop and some some more exhilarating styles of dancing. I think those are the main things. Gotcha. I'm surprised you didn't say anything about a craft brewing. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I also brew cider. <laughs> Leslie's ciders are amazing, by the way. I've been fortunate enough to get to sample a couple of bottles and I absolutely love what they make. My last batch was a blueberry peach cider and it was so freaking good. My next batch is going to be a strawberry cider. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to mix it with anything yet. And then the batch after that, I already have planned. It's going to be a dragon fruit cider. Oh, yeah. I remember you mentioning you had gotten... Um, are you using real dragon fruit or extract for that? It's real dragon fruit juice. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that sounds heavenly. I'm super excited for that one. Yeah, I, I've had very little dragon fruit in my life and I need more. Leslie is a person of such immense talents. I, I feel like I'm, um, if you'll pardon the expression, I think you're, you're the, you're the Renaissance person that oh, Leonardo you. da Vinci always like aspired to be, I think just it's such I, a wide range of interest, interests and talents. I love trying new things and I love, uh, learning new things. I'm very DIY, very hands-on. I've done a lot of craft projects. I mentioned woodworking. I, um, I built the desk that I'm currently standing at and I built the lamp that is in the background here. 
Ooh, I didn't know that. It's the LED lamp. That's gorgeous. Oh, and you have the popsicle on top of it, too. Yeah. Yeah, I got the popsicle. The little flush popsicle. Yes. May the space popsicle always be with you. Oh, and I've, I've painted things. I painted this painting that you see in the background. Was that the uh, Surrealist Starry Night? Is that how that went? I, I guess you could call it that, yeah. So <laughs> we, we did one of those. Like, I, I don't claim to be like a fantastic painter or anything, but I just enjoy the act of like doing these artistic uh, activities. They're they're fun for like outings and date nights and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so my partner and I, we went to one of those like paint and drink yeah, wine and things. Design. Yeah. And uh, so they give you like a sample painting and then you can, they were like, you can choose to follow along and I'm going to show you how to paint the thing that you see right here. Or if you feel inspired, you can just start painting. And I took a look at the painting and it was like a silhouette of a boat on a, on the water and like it's at sunset. And I was like, I'm going to use those colors, but I am not going to paint that. And so I painted this, which kind of looks like a black hole mm-hmm. eclipsed by the sun. And then like everything's being sucked into it. And you can see <laughs> a little tiny sailboat. That's my, my uh, tie in to the uh, event that we attended where you're sp- we were supposed to paint a sailboat on the there water. You go. I think I see that in the background of your camera a lot when we're on calls, and I always think of it as being like the the eye of a blue owl. I don't know why. <laughs> I like that. Staring at you from the void. I like that. It was it was just kind of painting what I felt at the time, and it got pretty bizarre. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Oh god, we could we could be here for another hour with Leslie telling us about all the amazing <laughs> things that they can do, but we have to move on. So I'm really interested in hearing from all the cast members about how each of us was recruited for Emergency Power Network. But in your case, that story is a little bit different because even though Adam is, you know, the the one and only galactic manager, really the two of you together kind of kickstarted this, if I'm not mistaken. So tell me a little bit about how this idea evolved and, and started um, from your perspective. Yeah, it was a little bit of vanity. Um <laughs> So Adam and I have a long history of doing TTRPGs together. Uh, So I knew his style and he knows mine. And we both kind of know what we're capable of in terms of RP from doing LARP for so many years. I was watching a actual play and I'm not going to name names because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings in this industry. But I was looking at it and I remembered thinking, I could do that. That doesn't look so hard. (laughs) And so I messaged Adam the next day. I was like, hey, watch this stream. And like, I think we're at least this good, right? Like, I'm not crazy. Right. Like, I don't think I'm like any kind of Leonardo DiCaprio or, you know, Uma Thurman type of acting level. But I think I can do this. And so he was like, yeah, sure. And so we were like, okay, let's give it a shot. And got together a group were like who do we know that is like really solid role players and it was starting out it was richard and it was cooper <laughs> and a lot of it was also like well we want to ask more people but like scheduling is really hard mm-hmm. so that was what we started out with and then realized you know within the first year that like, oh, it would be nice if we had at least one more person and we ended up doing the recruiting. But yeah, so it, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of cockiness that caused us to start this podcast. <laughs> no, no, my hubris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very glad that you and Adam tapped into that well of cockiness and hubris because we would not have been able to go on this fabulous adventure without the two of you just kind of getting the the bug and and lighting fire. So thank you. I also I want to applaud Adam and his bravery for GMing the first ever podcast that he and I were a part of. Oh yeah. I don't think I would have been able to do it. <laughs> Too much anxiety. And I know Adam was super anxious about it, but just like stepped up like a champion and uh powered through and now i just feel like he's such a great storyteller and he does such a good job of setting the mood when 
we play. So Adam, when you hear this, just know, you know, I'm I'm praising you and <laughs> I think you're a cool person and I'm aggressively complimenting you. <laughs> Adam does so love to be aggressively complimented. <laughs> just put a whole lot of spotlight on Adam. That's where he's most yeah. comfortable. Yeah, we're just going to talk the rest of this about Adam and how <laughs> great he is. We've already made that episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, go check out the uh, Afterburner. I think it was for the finale of season three. Yeah. If you want to hear us aggressively compliment Adam. Every uh-huh. single person on the on the team said something nice about Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we were able to pull that off. Um, and I, I could I could go on about Adam too, um, but I, some of that I want to save for when I interview him. And also, that's another bunny trail that if we go down, we're never going to get through all these questions today. <laughs> I'm really great at bunny trails, just so you know. <laughs> oh, we we all are, and that's why. <laughs> Whenever you listen to an episode of Emergency Power Network, you're getting about an hour and a half of content, but it was probably cold from about three to three and a half hours of recording. Yep. And it's because we are all just trying to keep our squirrels herded and usually failing. (laughs) Um, So directly to EPN material. I would like to know about the sources of inspiration that you drew upon when you created your character. And I know, you know, in most cases, I would say, let's just talk about Whisker, but it's it's kind of hard to talk about Whisker without talking about Scriff, too. Yeah, I don't always know where these inspirations come from for these characters. I just kind of think about, like, a lot of times when I'm creating a character, I first look at what class I want to play. Or like what build I want to do and then I'll make a character around that build. In the case of Scriff, I really wanted to try and prove the Starfinder community wrong that mechanics with the armor prototype are unplayable. (laughs) Because a lot of people complain that mechanic is underpowered and I mean not so much as Witch Warper but like lower than average mm-hmm. and armor prototype is one of the worst ones that you can pick and i was like challenge accepted uh-huh. i'm going to try and make a build that is at least decent and i went into it trying to make a tank and i think looking back that was probably a mistake because mechanics don't have enough ability to draw fire mm-hmm. And maybe that's where people, you know, where where the complaint comes from is if you're going to tank, you need to be able to tank. And there's not really anything to make you a threat in the mechanic toolkit. But once I had that and I had I had decided on Yusoki because like they seemed like they were a pretty good fit for that mechanic type of build. I started thinking about, okay, well, like, why did they get into prototype armor? And working back from there, okay, well, they got into prototype armor because it was a way off of Akaton. And it was a way to make a name for themselves without sticking to family. Okay, why aren't they sticking to family? Oh, it's they just really want to feel independent and like they have a big family. So, like, it can sometimes feel claustrophobic and feel like you're one person in this machine and if i'm going to be one person in a machine i want to control the whole machine (laughs) and then it kind of snowballed from there like trying to add i tried to add in some some complications um i was the so i will spoil this for our audience uh because i think you know the dervish is a huge threat and I'm just going to brag a little bit. That was from my backstory. That was oh, my character. Yeah. I wrote that into my backstory and then Adam took it and rolled with it. But originally the way that all I had written in the dervish, like I didn't want to go too far into like dictating what this character was. I wanted to give Adam a lot of freedom. And I wrote in just, he is the one that loaned me the money. And Scriff did not know this at the time, but the dervish sabotaged Scriff's workshop and caused the first experimental prototype to fail 
in order to force Scriff into debt. Oh. So, like, I that's all I wrote about the dervish. Adam took that and has made it into what it is now. That's amazing. So, and now I, I feel like a bad player because I don't know if that's something that's really been explained to us in game or not that the dervish set up Scriff slash Whisker. It was in, it was like a cutscene, a flashback in season one. When we were going through the sewers, Adam oh, did a flashback yeah. talking about how if the dervish lends script this money, it's like mafia rules. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay it back, I'm going to take it from your blood and from your family's blood. Oof. Well, thanks for creating one of the most brutal villains that I have <laughs> ever had to face. I can't take off all the credit. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I largely that, it goes to Adam. I suspect that write-up was probably a couple of paragraphs, and Adam just turned that up to eleven when he started developing it. Yeah. So leading into Whisker, the reason that I went with Whisker uh, in season three was kind of twofold. One. At this point, I was kind of realizing that I wasn't having fun as mechanic. And Adam graciously was like, if you want to try and repurpose your character, feel free to do so. And so I wanted to think of a way to make that make sense within the context of our story. And it just so happened at that moment in our story that Para had absorbed Scriff's armor <laughs> and so I did a little bit of like theorizing with Adam. Well, what would happen if a small dose of Para? We've seen what happens if Para is exposed in a large dose to someone vis a vis, blanking on the name, Isbin Espa. Yes. Isbin kind of went insane from the exposure to Para. But what if it was a very small exposure? And indirect, too, because it wasn't directly to Scriff. It was to Scriff's armor, which he then put on again, or put on the arm, rather. Would that cause a transformation? And Adam was like, that's a cool way to do it. Let's roll with that. And so, you know, Cat, Scriff's data pad, was an integral part of that character, and I really wanted to bring them a little bit more central to the concept of the character. Mm-hmm. And so like this presented that opportunity to just, let's just combine those two characters and make Kat part of the main character of Scriff. And in doing so, realized a lot of things about myself. Um, you know, sometimes you write characters and sometimes they write you. <laughs> Gosh, Leslie, you say that as if there's been some sort of major change in your life. I have no idea what you're talking about. Me neither. Crazy talk. Loose cannon. No, I I thought it was masterfully done. I thought it was great storytelling. Um, I I hope that we as fellow players and characters handled that in a way that made sense in context without causing any kind of discomfort. Because I know for, for me, it was pretty easy because I'm playing a robot. And I don't know if it was that easy for the rest of the characters or players trying to stay in characters' headspace to just accept that there's this new entity that's sort of dropped in the middle of them that is an amalgam of two people they used to know. Yeah, and we had a little bit of a sidebar. I gave a little bit of an explanation as to why this was happening and also noted that like it's a little bit personal. And everyone on the team has just been so great about that. And I'm really appreciative of how supportive they've all been in my own personal journey. And by extension, the uh, the changes that I made to my character. Well, hey, you are you are very much loved and appreciated in return. And so I think that's the very least that that could be asked from one friend to another friend. I love you all, too. This this is definitely my favorite group that I've ever played with. Oh, yay. And in a way, too, I think Whisker has been such an interesting change from Scriff because there was this very self-sure, confident, almost like, you know, seething just below the surface that you felt with Scriff. 
and but still someone who's very focused and serious most of the time. And Whisker is just none of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. So Scriff is a character that has ambition, but never is able either by their own volition or maybe something holding them back. They're never able to take that final step to completion of their goals. Mm -hmm. And that was written intentionally. It's not always their fault. Sometimes the dervish comes and destroys your workshop and maybe you could have done it or maybe something else would have come along and destroyed your work before you could have finished anyway. Or maybe you would have given up and scrapped the whole project and tried to start over. That was, that, that was the tragedy of that character. Whisker was a assistant created by Scriff's sister to help Scriff in whatever way they could. When they converged, that directive remained. Whisker said, you know, consciously, subconsciously, I'm going to help you fulfill those ambitions. And now I can do that in a more direct way. And so Whisker is by extension just very direct, knows what they want, and seeks to achieve it. Yeah. <laughs> and often is insufferably cute while doing it. <laughs> yeah, I I will probably at one point share, like, I try to be uh, very conservative with how much uh, AI art I generate, because, like, I know there's lots of copyright mm -hmm. questions, legalities surrounding it. I 100% support commissioning real artists and paying artists. But sometimes I have an idea in my head and I don't know if I want it commissioned yet. And AI mm -hmm. art is great for concepts. Oh yeah. Um, it's you and you and Adam have really turned me on to the usefulness of that as a tool. Cause my feeling is that when you're just theory crafting and you are wanting to get an idea, or if you're like me and you can barely draw a competent stick figure, then these Same. types of AI tools are great for kind of getting getting that concept brought to life in a way that you can show to other people, this is what this thing or person looks like. Um, but when you get to the point where you want to promote it, especially if, if you're using it for any commercial purpose, that's when like, you know, put the AI down and talk to a real artist who you know, needs that work and is going to, to create original content that you can license as your own and know that you helped you helped somebody pay a bill effectively. Yeah. And I've I've commissioned about half a dozen images of both Scriff and Whisker. Um, and I will continue to do so, but I did generate because uh, you mentioned like Whisker being cute. Uh -huh. I had to generate because we had a conversation a while back about Scriff in a Kigurumi like yes. a yellow Pikachu onesie. And I had to AI generate that. And I actually did that with Whisker. And I, I probably will share that on the Discord at some point. I, I have seen a few of those roughs and they did come out really, really good. <laughs> Whisker's just adorable and it's kind of like mean. I wish I was that adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't all be as cute as our RPG characters, you know? You're, you're very close, though. I don't want you to sell oh, yourself short. Thank you. I try. I've got my little beanie with my sheep ears today. I was kind of noticing, yeah. I didn't know if that was that was a, a stab at having mouse ears for the interview. Oh, yeah. I should... Okay, like, when you look on Etsy for beanies with mouse ears, what do you think you got? Probably some Disney crap. Everything is Disney. Uh -huh. And so you get Mickey Mouse ears, which is not what I'm going for. No, you want more realistic than that. No, that's that's a great facsimile right there, actually, especially when you expand them outward. So what I've got here is is sheep ears. They do need a little bit more rigidity if I was going to make them into mouse ears. They just kind of flop down at the yeah. side right now. But if I could find a way to hold them upright, then they almost do look like mouse ears. Yeah, you almost need like underwire in them to achieve that yeah. seems like I, I might have to try that because that would be cute it would yeah safety pins might do the trick i don't know I th but i think i think wire is the good way to go there mm -hmm. so staying on the topic of scriff and whisker how did you first expect your character's story arc to develop 
And where did that just go off the rails in our campaign? What was an inflection point that you were not expecting? Well, Adam kind of threw everything I expected out the window with episode one when he sent us to another planet and unable to escape. Mm -hmm. That really changed the trajectory of my character. But I really love the direction that it's gone. It's it made a lot of sense for my character. I liked how paranoid it made Scriff. <laughs> and like it really brought that sense of fear and urgency to getting out of there. Mm-hmm. Because Scriff knew that if he couldn't get back soon, his family was going to be in danger because he wasn't there to pay his loans. And his if if the dervish can't get to Scriff, he's going to go after family, which he did, just not in the way that Scriff expected. Yeah. And then, you know, I was not expecting the transformation into Whisker when I created the character either. Right. But I'm, once again, super happy with the way it came out and with the way it's going now. I imagined the character to be like... The one thing that has stayed the same is I imagined the character to be a type of person who rejected their biological family and found a found family, but then I expected them to go back and re-find their biological family. Mm-hmm. That remains to be seen whether that's going to happen. Yeah, no, that is that is a surprising development point, I think. And I, we haven't released all of the in-between material that's been recorded sort of as the interludes between seasons three and four. I think the first piece just was released today, but that's explored, um, I think, in the next bit that we're going to release. And it's it's very, very powerful. And it, it is interesting to see where Whisker goes from there. But it, it was also it, it made sense in the moment and it was very, very touching and heartwarming. And I just can't say anything more than that without spoiling a whole bunch of stuff that I think our listeners are going to love when it comes out. Yeah, just stay tuned. So what has been your favorite in-game moment so far featuring your player character? Ooh, I had a lot of fun with Scriff and Brandon, and I was really sad because I had ideas in my head about how that was going to go, and then Brandon died. Oh. And... Scriff alluded to it in the eulogy by saying, I think I loved you, but never got to explore that feeling because Brandon died. And I really just, that eulogy moment, the, the, the last chance for Scriff to say anything, but it's already too late. I really liked that moment. Mm. Yeah, that was hard hitting. I think that that whole eulogy sequence was really powerful. But the your contribution to it was was really the gut punch out of all of them. And it was amazing to me, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this when I sit down to interview Mark. Uh, but it was amazing to me that we had a character that was only in the show for, I think, about nine episodes and just how big of an impact they had on our group, the the energy that they brought yes. and, and in a way like losing that character the way that we did brought the rest of us a lot closer together and yes. made us a much more cohesive team. It, it, it kind of showed how fragile we really are. Oh, I want to say one more, uh, t- one, one more thing that, that I love about my character. Uh, one more scene. Mm-hmm. The, it, and it's really like just a dynamic. I love the dynamic between Scriff, now Whisker and Swarkus. because Scriff was so mad that Swarkus beat him up and now Whisker like secretly Scriff was jealous Uh of of Swarkus like Swarkus has just natural muscle which Scriff can only achieve with the armor right and Whisker takes that and turns it into like camaraderie and admiration and i'm hoping that we'll get to do some more of that in season four um but i'm really excited to kind of do just a little bit of a shift of that dynamic 
between oh, yeah. Whisker and Swarkus because that relationship hasn't happened a whole lot except for Whisker has made mention of like, I can see why Scriff liked you mm-hmm. and respected you. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting dynamic for sure. And there's there's almost, I think, a seed, and I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like that change in dynamic, even as, yeah, as it's still developing, there's almost a lesson there about the putting away of toxic masculinity and about yes. setting aside your ego. Yes. It happened at the season two finale. That's where the shift changed for Scriff between resentment to respect mm-hmm. because Swarkus was working together with us to fight our way through the Silent ship to rescue his people and also to help us to stop the Silan. And like we both put aside our egos for the purposes of the mission. And the act of doing that was what Scriff needed to realize that like Swarkus isn't a bad person just because they had the fight previously. Yeah. And that's almost summed up in the name of Swarkus's organization, Guru Gatal, which I think I think it translates from Vesca's from many one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how that goes. I, I think all of us to some degree or another are Swarkus stands among the cast. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though playing like the the kind of heel almost to Swarkus uh as Scriff, just being a little like pouty about Swarkus like uh, being no. jealous of his accomplishments and secretly yeah. deep down wishing that Scriff was that person. Yeah, because you, you sense the pes- the petulance in those mm-hmm. responses, but at the same time it was such good comic relief while it persisted. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was elegantly played. Um so we might be rerunning the same kind of discussion with my next question then. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask everybody is who is your favorite NPC in this campaign and what do you like about them or maybe dislike in the case of someone who's an antagonist? You know, I, I could say Swarkus, but I think I'm going to say Taie. Yes. <laughs> I just love like Taie is kind of a counterpart to Whisker. Right. And like very positive, very wants to be helpful, not as confident, Mm -hmm. but just like the thing I like about Taye is there was you were given no reason to dislike him. Mm -hmm. He's just he's there to help. He's doing his best. He's being wherever he needs to be. He's going to be there for you. Yep. Uh, It. It kills me that he's not coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's it's that's another heartbreaker. Um, and I, I guess we probably ought to spoiler tag these when we release them because we are talking about some big milestone events that have happened in the campaign. But that that's another incident that I think hit all of us hard. Um, but I, I enjoyed Taye a lot too for those same reasons. I, I thought it was great how as an NPC. We were just constantly assaulting Taye with weirdness, and uh-huh. he would he would take it in stride and just yeah. roll with it as good natured yeah. as he possibly could. It was like, okay, so this this is happening in the back of my truck. <laughs> so great, so great. Awesome. So we are about to start season four of this campaign. We know going into season four that this is going to be the the finale. This will be the big wrap up for Emergency Power's first campaign. What are your aspirations for the future of Whisker as we go into season four? What what do you want to see told in the story as we go? <sighs> I feel like the major arc for Whisker is already complete or nearly complete with the rescuing of the dovetails. I think that where Whisker's going to need to grow is where Scriff left off, which is learning to trust other people, not trying to do everything themselves. Ambition is great and it will get you far, but friends will get you farther. And that's something that Whisker is 
starting to realize like it's okay to rely on family sometimes or to rely on friends. It's very beautiful. I'm excited to see how that is going to play out too. Um, I know just from my perspective with things that are kind of going on with my own character, I, I worry how that is all going to present itself for reasons that I think will become clear when the, the in-between bits come out. But that is, that is interesting because I think there's sort of, there's a trust gap to be closed both between Whisker and how they perceive the rest of the group and probably how the group perceives Whisker. And we just all haven't really had time to process that because everything has been on fire since that big change up. Yeah. Whisker sees everybody, you know, as allies and obviously is not going to try and like countermine anybody, but also like they need to sometimes slow down Mm -hmm. and like that's part of a healthy friendship or a healthy relationship is making sure that everybody is taken care of. It's not always the most important thing to get your goal done as soon as possible. Yeah. And Whisker in some ways mirrors you in real life, I think. Whereas the rest of us in the group, I think, are very focused. We all kind of have a single discipline that we're really good at. Whisker can do almost everything, maybe not quite as well as everyone else in the group can, but there are very few few tasks that come up that Whisker can't do if it falls to them to be responsible for it. Um, so having that broad talent base, I think, makes it even harder for a character like that to to trust and rely on others because they don't necessarily need to. Yeah, I like making skill monkeys, I'll admit. I, had I love having so many skills. <laughs> All the skill points. I know. I'm, I'm constantly amazed as I go back through and listen to episodes we've recorded at just how much Whisker can do. <laughs> I'm so excited to show off like all the stuff that I got with our new level ups too. Oh yeah. So we haven't like with at the time that this airs, we've only recorded the the vignettes, which are not really game heavy. Like, you're, we're not using a lot of game mechanics in most no. of those. No, it's storytelling. Yeah. So I'm really excited to to share some of the stuff that I've gotten with our level up from 8 to 10. Yeah. I've got to go back and look at my character sheet because I think I leveled up, like, pretty soon after we recorded the last episode of 3. And so I don't even remember at this point what I added. (laughs) And I've played so many other characters in the interim that I've got to go back and get into 5e mode. It does help that I don't have any more Starfinder games going on simultaneously right now, though. (laughs) So final question for our interview. What are your predictions for how things are going to play out in season four? This this is your your great I told you so moment a year from now where you get to look back at this interview and say, see, I told you. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I, I put this one in our chat. This is tangential and it, we might not ever actually realize the truth to this one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to start off with this. Uh, so I have a theory that the reason that Koto's universe, the universe that Koto just came from Mm -hmm. is the way that it is, is because we all died in that fight we just had with the dervish and the most ordained commander. Mm. I think that's the point where things diverged. Um, And the reason that it diverged is because we had Koto and because we had Para. And those two things shift the balance into our favor and caused us to survive, which allows us to keep fighting. Right. And this becomes the one multiverse that Mr. Business was looking for where something had changed. Right. Right. That's why he was here at this moment. Because he was looking to see if this universe had what it takes to get through that fight. I think it's, um, if you're familiar with like theories on like the evolution of civilizations, there's one called the Great Filter. Mm-hmm. I think this was our Great Filter moment. This is the, the moment where most civilizations fail. They can't right. get past this one moment. And we are one of the few universes that has made it now. Mm -hmm. No pressure, though. No pressure pressure. at all. (laughs) There's only one test, right? Once you get past that one test, everything's smooth sailing. Yeah, no no more problems ever. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to keep that optimism as we go into season four. Let's see. Other theories. Other theories. Um, okay. I think that Koto's doppelganger is a twin. Interesting. I think that they are like Highlander style. Like that's why they get more powerful. That's why they are an exception. I think they're an exception to the rule that Mr. Business gives that there's only one in each universe. I think that they are both the, uh, they're, they're both the same person and they diverged maybe even at birth based on what Mr. Business said about like polar opposites and magnets uh, repelling each other. I think that they're more closely related than just two of the same person from different dimensions. I think they're right. a little bit closer than that. Almost as if every single reality had this divergence of Koto and, and their doppelganger, and we're just seeing it expressed differently in this reality. Is that what you're getting at? or? Um, I think that something like that, yeah. I, I, I think that Koto is as necessary to the success of this reality as para is um like i know mr business mentioned specifically para is a anomaly mm-hmm. but i think that koto is going to turn out to be necessary as well and i think that they're going to be necessary not only to save this universe but others as well i think they're going to turn into like i think koto is going to in our season four epilogue or where are they now type of like finale thing. Mm-hmm. I think Koto is going to end up becoming another Mr. Business and going around and trying to maybe even do more than Mr. Business does currently Ooh. where Mr. Business is trying to find a reality that stops the Silan. I think Koto is going to be like a the silver surfer, like going around and destroying the Cylan in every universe. Oh, that's so cool. That's my theory. You heard it here first, folks. Koto is the Silver Surfer. Let's see if that one plays out. That's fantastic. Well, you have exhausted my list of questions. Leslie, you have been a fabulous, fabulous interviewee. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, and this has got me. This has got me so excited because this is like the first of six that I get to do of these. And then one of you gets to turn the tables and interview me as well. And it, it's a delight. And, you know, I, I know Leslie pretty well because we live fairly close together in, in real life and chat a lot. Um, so this is this was a nice, easy interview to kick off with because we we do talk fairly regularly and mm-hmm. kind of have that rapport. And I mean, I have rapport with all the cast members, but this this was just like such a nice, easy way to begin this process. So thank you very much for being a good, gentle interviewee and for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to do this. You are very, very welcome. All right. Well, until next time, thank you for tuning into the Emergency Power Network. We've got lots more content coming out in the coming months, several more cast interviews, and who knows what other surprises might be along the way. There's vignettes, there's epilogues, there's prologues, there's even entire other games that we've recorded that I can't talk about yet, no matter how much I might want to. We've got so much exciting stuff coming up in 2024, so stick around with us, folks. Bye. Bye, everybody. When life drains you down, charge up on the Emergency Power Network. Theme song triangles by Diamond Ace. Find them at bandcamp.com. Music provided by Nicholas Judy of Dark Fantasy Studio at darkfantasystudio.com and Tabletop Audio. Find them at tabletopaudio.com. As well as Carl Casey of White Bat Audio. Find them at whitebataudio.com. Font Azonix by Mixo. Find them on Twitter at MixoFX. The Starfinder role-playing game, including its official lore and images, are the intellectual property of Paizo Incorporated. All rights reserved. 
narrated by Danny Lee Collins.